Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello, and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to talk to Jeffrey Lofton about Red Clay Susie. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you, Dan. I'm so excited to be here. I have watched so many of your episodes, and to be on your show is uh, kind of a, a dream come true. So thanks for having me. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you for gracing this. This book is just so magical, and I know it's a bit of a sort of a memoir and a fictionalized memoir. So I'm going to ask probably a straight out of the gate question. I would say that Philbert is a good boy. Would you agree or disagree and why? I think Philbert is one of the best boys. I agree. Because he is inherently sweet and kind and um, and wants to do his very best for not only himself, but those around him, his family, his friends. Um, so I'm glad that you saw that. I did. I, you know, there was a bit of myself I saw in Philbert, and I don't think anyone who reads this book won't find something that they identify with. I found Philbert had such a great desire to be good that he often would blurt out his truth or the truth of a situation. And I find that to be daunting as an adult because I did that as a child and sometimes as an adult. But tell me what the honesty of Philbert is and why it's important. Well, I think to one of the um, requirements of writing a fictionalized memoir is to, is to state your own truth. And if you don't do that, if the author doesn't do that, then you really haven't told your story. You haven't done a service to your story. And so I, I agree. I mean, this this protagonist, and I share a lot with this protagonist, <laughs> um, does 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 do that a lot. In the, and it's intentional, though, mm-hmm. because though Philbert's journey is not an easy one. It's also, I hope, true to life, which mean, which means that, you know, even though it's not easy, it's funny, mm-hmm. it's heartfelt, and that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a story that anyone who has ever felt that they were an outsider, anyone who has ever longed for somebody else, anyone who has ever felt not just an outsider, but lost, and, and and but so hopeful that they could find a path that would take them someplace to someone. That's what the story is about. I, I wrote it as a roadmap of sorts, mm-hmm. not a roadmap for a car, and cars feature prominently. <laughs> they do indeed. Starting with a, a 1968 Mercury Cougar matchbox, which I can talk more about if you like, but this is my toy from childhood, which I loved, 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 loved. Oh. Doors that open. And as a child, I imagine these doors were wings. And this little car flew me to places that only existed in my imagination. <laughs> but I think, so I think that's one of the things about Philbert and children in general. 
you know, children come with such a wonderful imagination and they take things like a matchbox car. I did the same. And it was one of those things for my matchbox cars. Each car belonged to one of my neighbors. So they rode at different speeds and all. But we take these and you and of course you had the expensive ones because you had some that the doors opened on. Those were harder to come by in my age. So <laughs> I didn't realize that. I thought they, they were all 50 cents, I thought. But. <laughs> so did so in this cougar, did a person drive it? Did Philbert drive it or did Jeffrey drive it? Or who did it belong to? Well, Philbert okay. and I associated uh, cars with people in our lives. Um, Philbert actually has a, there's a chapter in the book called A Car for Everyone I Ever Loved. And so Philbert associates real cars, uh, mostly real cars, but also, you know, the matchbox cars with people in his life. And in the in the story, in, in, the, in Red Clay Susie, his favorite matchbox toy has a real life counterpart which is driven by an older boy who is the, the son of the um the folks who own and operate the gas station uh, convenience store that's across the road from philbert's childhood home and that character is named Bo. and philbert is obsessed with the cars and the people who drive them because he believes any car that touches his heart, any car that captures his imagination, if a person chooses that car and drives it in real life, then that person and Philbert have something in common. They're alike in some way. And this child is continually looking for connections with other people. He'll take any opportunity to say, I'm like you, you're like me. We, are, we belong to each other in some way. And I love that about children in general, mm -hmm. but about uh, Philbert in particular, because he is a survivor, ultimately. And um, and so he uses the metaphors, uh, well, in the book, I use the metaphor of cars as, you know, um, well, of course, of course, cars represent um, escape, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. journeys, taking yes. journeys and yes. getting to another place. But this child takes it to a whole other level. And <laughs> cars as living, magical creatures. He feels an affinity with them beyond it being a toy or, or a real car on a road. They really are characters in his world, and he loves them. I love that. And, you know, it, Philbert can hear an engine and know what it is. As a child, I could listen to a car door slam without looking and tell you who was visiting because they each car has a different sound to it. And right. I think that for inventive children, they pick up on these things. Um, so I, I, I want to highlight one thing. So Philbert's mama goes to work for a car dealership and the car dealership is just wide enough to hold three cars. And I love the description of that because it harkened back to my childhood. You know, now living in the big city, a car, uh, the car dealership may hold 50 cars inside. But growing up in the South, if you got three in there, you were lucky. Those were the special cars. They were. And, I, and that's one of the things about the cars in this that is so wonderful because it is it is part of who Gilbert is. 
So uh, on a unique and different thing. So talk about communion. Communion. Well, with cars or with people in general? Well, so I, sorry, I should, sorry, that was a little stretch. Let's talk about church communion because I love, I love that little passage. Well, that is a, a memory from my childhood. I, I would, I used to sit, so I, I grew up uh, in the Southern Baptist Church and we had communion, you know, communion Sunday. And I always sat next to granddaddy and he would, and, and so in the, in the Southern Baptist Church, one does not go to the, you know, the altar and, and drink from the cup and it's not wine. It's, well, it's grape juice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there are small little glasses, like little shot glasses all mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Pass them around in a tray and each of them has like a little swallow of Welch's grape juice. And that is paired with a little crisp wafer about the size of a thumbnail. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really biscuit dough rolled flat and not, you know, <laughs> I don't think there's any self fries and flour in it. It's just regular no. flour. And that is your, that's the, you know, that's the communion, mm-hmm. the, the bread and the wine. And um, so granddaddy shares a little sip of his Welch's grape juice with Philbert because Philbert has not been saved yet. He's not been baptized. And so he's not officially supposed to have any of this communion, but it's grape juice. And, and it's more special than go to the, you know, you can go to the kitchen and have a glass of grape juice at home. Yes, yes. But it, it is, it is that thing that for children, because as you say, because I grew up as a free will Baptist and you didn't take communion until you had been saved, but somebody always was slipping me a little bit, you know, and I just love that because it's almost that sort of, we have this secret between us. And that's one of the things with Philbert and granddaddy that is so precious that there's granddaddy sees in Philbert the potential and granddaddy sees how brave Philbert is, Philbert is. And I think that that is something that came through in this book for me. This child is creative and inventive and different and fun and funny and honest, but brave as hell. I mean, it is amazing, the bravery of Philbert. I haven't had a conversation about that in particular. This is so, this is new to have this talk about Philbert in this way. I'm so glad you see that. I I love that. Thank you for, for saying that. Oh, well, I think the biggest thing about it is, you know, Philbert is behind the eight ball in a lot of situations in his family life, in his school life. And yet, no matter what seems to be hurled at Philbert, Philbert comes right back and he bounces back. And it's a resilience and a bravery that is so beautifully articulated by you. It's, it was just amazing. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. And, but that's, that was in, I, it was intentional because I had a really rough time of it. I'm not, I'm not unique in that. This was, you know, I I was telling my truth. Everybody has a truth. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of queer people are, are, they're resilient because they have to be. People Mm -hmm. in general are resilient because they have to be. But queer people in particular, especially in a small conservative community in the deep South, in Mm -hmm. the 1960s and 70s and 80s, it was a totally different time. And, and not easy to navigate. And if you were going to make it, you had to 
you had to be resilient and, and the character, you know, there are some, there are characters in the book, as I hope in life, who I think of it as in those concentric circles of humanity, who will lift you up, who do recognize you and see you, even if, even if everything is not stated, you, they know. Mm-hmm. You, they know what you're facing. And um, though Philbert has some really, really um, not supportive people, mm-hmm. abusive people in his life, mm-hmm. there are a couple who do lift him up. And I hope that that's the way life is for most people is there are people who can lift you up until you can lift yourself up until you can then go and lift other people up. It's a cycle. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted the book, as I said, a a roadmap. I wanted to show that I think that the the key to it is getting to the next day until you can not just get to the next day, but look forward to the next day. Yes, yes. Um, You know, there's a little phrase, fake it until you make it. And I'm not really... I, I understand that phrase, but I, I also think that sometimes it is just simply one day at a time. I need to get one step forward. You know, when the world knocks you down, you, go a different direction, you know, or try to. I don't want I don't want it to sound too simplistic because not everyone can, but Philbert does. And Philbert, you know, Philbert has a lot going against him in a lot of ways, physically, family, um, there was one little, there's so many phrases that you use in the book. I know you grew up in Georgia and I grew up in North Carolina. There's so many phrases that are so similar. One that I just simply squealed out loud with laughter was showing his ass because I'm like, oh my goodness, I know exactly what that is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not a good thing. And then you told me I have pretty blue eyes because I drink. I love this. I mean, I I think I'm supposed to like you, Jeffrey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there were just so many fun things in this. And one of the, another thing that I noticed with Philbert is he's allowed to wander. And, and I think growing up in the South and when this was set to be able to wander from place to place, was so very different. And I think for country people, that was a blessing in my life because I got to wonder. Did you get to wonder around the neighborhood and where you grew up and and Philbert as well? I did. It was a time and place when children, you know, just hit the door, especially during the summer, just went out the front door whenever they wanted, uh, slammed it, of course. This <laughs> And you'd come and go and you'd get some Kool-Aid or whatever you needed and you'd go back out, especially in the summer because there were woods and meadows and uh, to, to explore. And for a loner child like me, I mean, I spent a lot of time alone because we lived out in the country and um, I didn't have, there weren't a lot of people around. Mm-mm. You know, my brother was older and um, we had cousins across the road, but I spent a lot of time alone. And it was, I think it may have helped me. Um, I think it helped me develop a, a, a secret imaginary in my life head, you know, similar to flying around with a matchbox car and rolling on my knee back and forth, knowing that I may not be traveling anywhere um, 
I may not be going miles, but I'm going so far in here. And I, I think that that really feeds one's creativity, living like that. I agree. And I think, I, I think back to my childhood often, and I think, well, you know, I spent a lot of time alone. I had plenty of neighbors. Um, my mom was a little bit restrictive, so I spent a lot of time on my own. I spent a lot of time outside. Uh, it gives children a chance to, to think and to imagine. I, 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 it's a freedom. I don't think everyone looks at it as a freedom, but I certainly did. <laughs> Sometimes it was a nice way to get away from my mom. Uh, you know, and to get out. Um, I felt the same with Philbert. I felt that he had that ability to to navigate worlds and um, to go with both his, you know, his mom, his dad, his grandparents on both sides. So one grandma is named Mima, and we love us some Mima. Actually, it's 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 a it's Mama, but Mama. Oops, sorry. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. It's it's yours. <laughs> so is Jorma, is that the other grandmother? That's the other grandmother. And is that a nickname or a real name? That is, I made it up. Okay. Because my grandmothers were named um, Mama and Mama. Uh, oh, my. And I thought, well, that doesn't really work for the book. It, that was originally, I used their names in the book originally, and I had a, a passage um, explaining that um, Mama was Mama's Mama and, and and Mama was Daddy's Mama, but it just got too jumbled and confusing. I thought, okay. And so I left Mama because uh, Jorma is more present in the book. She's uh, There's more of jo Jorma um, there. And I thought, I wanted to I wanted to tell a story with the name of Jorma. So Jorma is a, is is a, a shortened, um, is shortened for something else. Okay. And I wanted to use that as a way to explain why granddaddy loves her. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little story, uh, you know, way down, not a, not a, not a main part of the story, but I, I guess a secondary story about granddaddy and why he chose her and why I guess she chose him. Um, because Jorma is not the most likable. And you might wonder why someone who is there, there's grand, granddaddy and Jorma are so different, but there are so many couples in my life and they are like, what, what does this one see in that one? <laughs> there's something there. There has to be. And I love discovering that. I think to sort of make it a little simple, you know, uh, as queer kids and as queer people, we have a chosen family. And it, which is such a wonderful thing. We get to choose our own family. But then I look back sometimes at couples that were as different as night and day, and maybe in a simplistic way, they chose their family, even though it wasn't what you would say is what I would naturally put together. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun thing. What is your favorite thing about Philbert? My favorite thing about Philbert is that as, as the younger version, I love that he is so free and open and speaks. When he opens his mouth, it, it disarms a lot of the people around him, especially uh, you know, the adults in his world. Mm -hmm. he, is, he says, he, he sees the world the way that 
they know it exists, but they don't. They try to ignore and avoid. But he can, with uh, one little phrase, just cut right through. And one of my favorite, I don't want to give anything away, but uh, Philbert talks to Bo, the, who is a, you know, a, a teenager, almost 20 years old or so when we first meet Bo. And Bo is headed off to the Vietnam War. And there's one exchange and he sort of takes Bo's, Philbert takes Bo's breath away by, by stating something so completely honest and childlike, but it cuts right to the heart of what's wrong with the world and, 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 and war. Totally agree. It just about brings me to tears now. It, it brought me to tears reading that passage and, and you allude to it towards the end of the book as well. It sort of comes back around. It's, it's that honesty, it's that bravery, it's that directness that sometimes is not always appreciated, um, but it is so true. And, you know, you, you really can't, you can't take away from the truth. It is what it is. Yeah. So, what a delicious, delicious, delicious read this is, Jeffrey. Thank do you. you have, do you have a website or social media you'd like to share? Well, I'm on all the social social media platforms, and I love connecting with folks. I try my best to uh, post uh, where I'm going to be and what's going on, and catch up with folks and lift up other writers and other artists. Um, and you can always find me uh, on my author site, which is jeffreydlofton.com and um, all of my social media um, handles are, are, are linked from there. And there's also one thing on my author site that I'm really excited about. It's a book club, but I have a new book club kit, which has okay. like recipes inspired by food in the book. There's a lot of food in the book and um, a history of matchbox cars. And there's just so much. And, I love connecting with folks on, on book club. So I'd love for folks to, to check that out and um, check out some of those recipes. Sad Streak Pound Cake. Oh, some of the good stuff. I love it. I love it. I'm going to have to get busy in the kitchen this weekend. Okay. <laughs> Once again, the book is Red Clay, Susie. Jeff, thanks for joining me. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much, Dan. Hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.